You know, I think Jesus, as we look at, as you read the Gospels carefully, he's very driven by his mission to preach in all the villages and ultimately, of course, to suffer and die on the cross. But he also, at times, you can see the compassion of his heart just moves him to give hours and hours to healing and to ministering to the poor. Hi guys, Matt here from Frontiers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Raw Mission, the podcast where we bring you challenging and inspiring stories of ordinary folks sharing the good news of our extraordinary God in some of the toughest parts of the world. If we take seriously the commands of Jesus to preach the gospel and to share the good news with all nations, does that mean we somehow lack compassion for the poor or have little regard for holistic mission? Well, I hope not. In fact, it's clear to me that both proclamation of the gospel and justice or poverty ministries are mandated throughout all of scripture and that both are thoroughly Christ-like. We must be really careful not to choose one at the expense of the other if we're to remain faithful to God's word. Now, in today's episode, you're going to meet Joe, who is someone I think has got this balance right. He spent more than a decade working with refugees and the poor in Pakistan and in the Middle East all while serving on teams committed to making disciples and planting churches amongst unreached peoples. You'll love just sitting in on this chat with Joe, a humble and gentle brother who, along with his wonderful wife and kids, is faithfully following Jesus, serving the poor, encouraging the local church, and sharing his life with Muslims in the Middle East. Well, it's my huge privilege today to have Joe with me. Uh, Joe's an old buddy. We go back quite a few years now when was it joe we first met was it earthquake work 2005 yeah in yeah. northern pakistan that's yeah. right big year wasn't it that 2005 crazy times let's yeah let's dig into that a, a little bit um but before we go into the the earthquake work that we were both a part of just tell us how you got a heart for muslims and how you ended up on the field how long have you been on the field now in different places yeah, so we've, uh, I mean, we were part of this earthquake relief project with you and others in 2005, six, my wife and I, even though we weren't married at the time, uh, got married right after that. Um, and then we, since 2008, we've been uh, sort of field members on the field, Pakistan for four years, and then Jordan for eight years. I don't, remember, yeah. I don't get all the years right, but yeah, now just landed in the United Arab Emirates for a new assignment, working among, serving among Urdu speakers uh, okay. in the Gulf. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten until you just sent me some little notes the other day. But your wife, was was she originally coming to join our team in the far north of Pakistan? That's right. Yeah, she was headed up to Hansa and wanted to use her nursing skills there on your team up in the north. Yeah, and then the earthquake just sort of messed everything up in some ways, but to your, to your favor... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we were both, we had gone to candidate school 2005 in the spring mm. in the US and Arizona, the preparatory sort of training school and getting ready to go to serve on church planning teams in Pakistan. So she was going to the north, I was going to the south, and then the earthquake hit and uh, we joined this, which you were part of this uh, sort of uh, midterm team to do crisis relief work. Mm. And um yeah, yeah, it was so, so unexpected for me. I, I had no idea I'd ever be getting involved in earthquake relief because, yeah, our team was doing long-term community development work and, and that wasn't my background. So I, I joined this great team 
Um, but I said, let just send me into the university to teach because I don't have any NGO experience, development experience. Although, you know, we did some adult literacy work together and I was able to get involved with some quite cool things. But to suddenly end up in 2005 after the earthquake going down country to, to yeah, to do proper crisis relief with all these huge NGOs around us, you know, the big world vision and all these guys coming in with their trucks and their, you know, fancy yeah. clothes. And we, and we were just there. It was, yeah. yeah, what was your experience of that time? Yeah, so, um, well, it's interesting. I mean, for me, there was God sort of weaving things together. I think I had really had a heart for serving among the poor. That was a desire there from kind of the formative time of God's work in my life in university and undergrad. Then I got very focused on biblical theological studies and very focused on the evangelism, disciple-making, church-planning tasks. And then, you know, I hadn't really thought deeply about how am I going to go into Pakistan and serve visa, all those things. And then the earthquake hit Mm. and I just loved being able to go up into these mountains and respond to people's needs. Mm -hmm. And so I came away from that. I think all the more revived in my desire to serve among the poor and needy places. And then went back and actually got more training and international relief and development and that became a major part of our ministry then both in south asia and in the middle east so yeah yeah. so for for those who don't know i mean we just sort of mentioning the earthquake but this was it this was called in some circles the Kashmir earthquake in 2005 and i think it was about 70,000 people died it it was Mm -hmm. quite a shock i i remember feeling it i was i think i was 14 hours by pretty crazy road up north from where the epicenter Mm -hmm. was but even so, I, I was fairly new in my house in the northern areas, and I remember the ground shaking and everything went quiet. All the birds stopped singing and smoke. Well, it wasn't smoke, but looked like smoke up on the mountain. It was just probably a landslide, you know, from the shaking. Mm. And just thinking, oh, no, my ha- Lord, don't let my house collapse, thinking what is going mm. on here. And actually, it was very light. There was very little damage up in, in the north where we were. But very soon we heard, you know, yeah, these two tower blocks had collapsed in the capital um and but then gradually over the next few weeks it it turned out that tens of thousands had died up in the villages so we put out this call didn't we um men Mm -hmm. needed before winter come come and help build shelters because so many people had lost their homes we needed to just help them build some temporary shelters um some people were bringing all the big ngos were bringing in tents but we had this great shelter didn't we with metal bars and uh, corrugated Mm -hmm. iron or sheets on top and someone had designed that for us so you guys down in Karachi, well, you, you weren't in Karachi at that point. You came straight out for earthquake no. relief. You were part of the, the response to the call, weren't you? Six, how many men came? I don't know. If, uh, several yeah, hundred a, couple, came. a few hundred, I think. Yeah, yeah. in just a few, yeah. six weeks, I think. Yeah. I think I had signed on to join the team in the south in Karachi, but and it was just starting, like, yeah, getting the, the support team in place and everything. And, yeah, so it really fast-forwarded things quickly me and, and getting over overseas yeah. i remember taking a helicopter with you at one point wasn't it we were yes. in one of those united nations helicopters and we were delivering some of our supplies up in the mountains um to yeah. some of these villages but yeah it was it was just a crazy time but uh, i have so many how did god come through and use us to build seven thousand seven thousand five hundred shelters for the poor and it was that was just crazy and the tragedy all around of seeing those houses smashed even now when i'm looking at ukraine and seeing the destruction there or whether it was syria a few years ago i just my mind goes back to those towns in monsera and so on that were just absolutely 
collapse by the earthquake. So sad. Yeah. Okay, so then, yeah, so following that, the earthquake work with us. It, it confirmed your heart for the poor. You went back, you got some training in development work because you thought, yes, this is, yeah. this is good. Working with the poor, this is something I can do. Yeah, and, and really I saw um, <clears throat> the earthquake. I mean, obviously this horrible disaster, God working the good of opening up these whole valleys and areas that you had been there, you know, are so difficult to access and people so difficult to, to even get to know, to sit down and drink tea with. And suddenly this disaster opened up whole communities. And so I think it was also seeing that combined with, oh, this is a strategic way God's opening doors to be witnesses to Christ in word and deed. And really wanted to be better prepared because, you know, we were flying by the seat of our pants. How can we be, how can I be better prepared for the next time Yes. and respond, you know, hopefully in an even better way. And yeah, just have a better sense of, okay, here's what we're doing. And, mm-hmm. and so that really was, there was momentum from that earthquake with the organization that we were working with on the ground doing relief and development. So the sort of the momentum from that earthquake relief work was, there was more funding and just momentum to be able to open new offices uh, for responding to disasters, doing development work mm. in the far southwest of, um, of the country. And I was able, my team was able to really kind of ride that wave. And really, that was a major part of our work and ministry for the next four years. Right. And it carries right into my story in the Middle East, which I can tell you about too. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell us i suppose why did you leave pakistan because that was going pretty well up till you know yeah 2011 12 yeah you do as well as you can in pakistan right it's not an easy place but (laughs) yeah you love you love and hate it (laughs) um so we had intended just to keep going and pressing on there as god as long as god made it possible and then 2011 was a very difficult year especially Mm. as an american myself in pakistan whole series of events there was a cia officer that mm. shot and killed two guys in jail yes and there was the osama bin laden raid and later in the year there was the u.s forces actually killed about 26 pakistani soldiers so the oh, whole that. Yeah. yeah it was huge this whole geopolitical thing was just blowing up mm-hmm. and the net outcome was we, we weren't able to maintain our visas and and in the pakistan way it wasn't a clear no, you're out of here. It was sort of a slowly doors being closed and right. get the point. Yeah, pretty much we... by the end of that year, so many people had to leave Pakistan, didn't they? We, I think we were some of the first early 2011. Yeah. And that, yeah. those stories you mentioned, I think I always say, I think that's why we were kicked out the geopolitical stuff, the CIA guy in Lahore. So where did you go next? Yeah. So we ended up back in the States and we're actually waiting for a long time for our new visas to come through, which mm. deep within me, I, I didn't, I didn't think was going to happen. Um, but we were holding out, praying, waiting in faith, but we reached a point where, uh, and our, uh, a pastor was helpful there just said, you know, it looks like, you know, this, this curve that you're waiting to get around is very long and it's keep, it's continuing, continuing. Maybe it's time to rethink things. And mm. so came to a place, started looking at because of kind of looked at what we had, you know, what our, what God had done so far in our life. There's Urdu, there's Pakistan, there's relief and development. 
There's church planning work among Muslims. So what, what of those things is God calling us to hold on to and will carry us into the next thing? Mm. And so I was looking at places where other Urdu speaking areas, and it actually is in that year that of course the Syrian civil war started to spiral out of control. And then the refugee crisis took off mm. and close friends of ours from our home church. They uh, were leading a team in, in the, in the Middle East and had to flee because of the war and decided to work with uh, Syrian refugees. And so they suddenly, what I found in the Middle East, there weren't as many do, doing outreach work among Muslims that had experience in relief and development. A lot right. in the Middle East had, had been doing English teaching, business, and suddenly there's these huge uh, needs and a need for relief work. And so there was a specific opportunity to join with a Christian organization wanting to do relief among Syrian refugees. Mm-hmm. And I could take hold of that role and be part of a team focused on church planning among Syrians. Mm. And so God brought it together and they're with close friends of ours. That's where we ended up. We thought we don't know the language. It's Arabic. It's different, but we'll learn as much as we can and uh, try to support the work of others. And well, in the end, we were there eight years and mm. pretty much dove, dove fully in, in eight uh-huh. years. So. Yeah. And so, yeah, give us some stories or some kind of paint a picture for us of what, what did that look like? Because when we think of Syrian refugees, it's really hard to know. What does that look like? Are these, you know, are they in tent camps? Are they coming in and going out or are they just stuck there for year after year? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting for me uh, going into the Middle East and the Syrian refugee crisis. I was thinking very much of Pakistan, where Mm. at that time, and I think still had the highest number of refugees in the world from the Afghanistan wartime. Mm -hmm. And some of my closest friends, even closest believer I know is an Afghan refugee that had been in Pakistan for years. Mm. So I knew that these sort of crises, they're, they're often sadly very long lasting and they'll carry on. But when we got to the Middle East, you know, we were in the homes of Syrians right away and meeting with Syrians. And, you know, the whole theme of hope is so big for refugees. So they had this hope that within like one, two months time, it would all be over and they would go back. And, and they wouldn't even put their kids in school. And so there's that hope, which then you see slowly crushed. Then there was this season of hope to travel to, you know, the UK, Europe, or America. Yeah. And that hope, all the more Donald Trump became president, was squeezed out. Uh, so you saw that hope kind of die. Yeah. Then there was a little bit, this hope, go back to Syria. And so we walked with, you know, refugees for a long time through that. And it's it's hard. It's, it's very sad in many ways. Life is just kind of almost endlessly on pause in a way. Yeah. You know? So the most of the refugees we work with were all in urban areas. We lived, you just live anywhere in the country uh, that we were in or many of the countries of the Middle East and 80 to 90% of the refugees were living in urban areas, mm. trying to make ends meet, living in simple accommodation and very, you know, very small percentage are actually in refugee camps, okay. um, depending on where, where you go. What was your daily role? What could you do to help them? How, how organizationally or personally or, or yep. gospel wise? Yeah. Give us some snippets or some stories of what that looked like. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a change definitely from our time in Pakistan. In Pakistan, we were very focused 
focused on, you know, majority predominantly Muslim communities or places where there was no, there are no Christians and no churches. Mm. And um, so we were working as a, a Christian organization, but, um, you know, it wasn't the church and local Christians weren't at the forefront of everything we were doing for the most part in Pakistan. So in the Middle East, it was very different. I worked with a Christian NGO that was registered that way. Um, our main sort of partners on the ground were local churches, Arab churches. Yeah. And we did a lot, both as a team in our church planning efforts and in my relief work, we we're working very closely with uh, Arab Christians and with the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, yeah, it was exciting. It was a change and um, learned a lot through it. <laughs> there was all the good, the bad and the ugly from it, but uh yeah, it was great. Yeah, give us give us some of those then. Give us some some good, bad, and ugly stories. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the good is, uh, I mean, I have found more and more as I travel throughout the Muslim majority world, there are many, many Christians who are, you know, have a heart for their neighbors, uh, want to see Muslims come to faith in Christ, and really saw that in big ways in the Middle East during the Syrian refugee crisis. And and um, so I think that the, the bad that comes with it is just all the money. So, you know, the good first number of years up until really right now, so much of my work in ministry has also had a money component with relief and development. And that brings all kinds of challenges when you also want to share the gospel, mm-hmm. make disciples, see churches that are self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. So all that influx of money and um, the ugly dynamics it can bring into relationships and the ministry and, and really the corruption it can bring across, yeah. you know, across the board. So that that's hard. That's difficult. Yeah. Are you talking uh, about local Christians and, um, as well as maybe emerging Muslims turning to Christ and, and the money polluting both of those aspects? Yeah. And I, th- and I think so too. I think even to say that those who are giving lots of money mm. where it becomes just about giving lots of money and big reports, fancy reports. And so I just, at its worst, it can, mm-hmm. for all of who are involved, and I've been part of the whole thing, it has negative uh, mm-hmm. fruits, bad fruits that come from it at places and just have to be vigilant. And yeah, yeah. It, I think, I mean, for me, even when, when I came back from Pakistan and did, a, did my master's in um, so anthropology of the near and middle east but some one of my courses was violence conflict and development um, very new to me but there was a lot of depression and frustration amongst some of these development workers and we saw mm-hmm. the dangers of it in pakistan didn't we even in earthquake relief work uh, all this money comes in and people just you know will, will grab of course i mean some of them are desperate and they need it desperately and others just see an opportunity um, and can wrap the wool around the, the eyes of the foreigners coming in who don't really get the local situation, don't speak Urdu yeah. or the national language. That At least that was one of our advantages. But even then, it's easy to hoodwink us because we're not locals. And it, yeah. I just thought, yeah, you know, without God, without the kingdom aspect of this work, to be a development worker must be so frustrating. And let alone the fact you can develop an amazing project, get something going, and then it crumbles a year or two later, yeah. whether because of um, inter you know, village fighting or some other reason and, and just without knowing God and his sovereignty and, and the kingdom at work, I would, uh, I'd find it so difficult. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've been there for sure. And it, it, 
on the inside of it, at times it can just feel like it's so it's a business, you know, as, as, as so much. And yes, so that's, yeah, that's hard. That's difficult. Um, at the same time, there are real needs and you can meet those needs. And I think yes. we do it in faith and as believers, there's ways that we can really do it in an authentic, powerful way in the name of Christ. And, and I think really mm-hmm. as a part of evangelism as well, that opens people's minds and hearts. Uh, and um, yeah. so, but it takes a lot of discernment, a lot of prayer, a lot of making mistakes along the way. Did you see overall that the Syrian refugees in the Middle East were quite open to the gospel beyond even just the help, monetary or financial or, or physical help? Yeah, really as, as our team and those that I work most closely with, sadly we did not, you know, and mm-hmm. it was not from a lack. <laughs> there was plenty of good works and loving service being done in Jesus name. There was yep. lots of prayer being done and there was a lot of sharing and reading the Bible. So mm. tons and tons of sewing. I mean, amazing. And I'm talking many organizations, global church, Arab church. Yep. And, but yeah, I didn't see a ton of that harvest personally mm. in terms of people coming to faith and, you know, being baptized churches being established here and there believers and, mm. But trusting God with his word doesn't return void, um, yeah. but not, not what we had hoped and expected. So, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you, you, like us, probably, you're hearing some stories where Syrians are turning to Christ. Certainly, I've heard of stories in maybe in some of the refugee camps I've heard, maybe from different organizations or some other teams, perhaps, or in Germany, I've heard of stories of Syrians coming into churches quite a lot. Yeah. And so on. So, yeah, it must be. But, you know, in the scale of things, there are so many thousands in need, even if you hear of tens here or tens there. It's still very low, isn't it? Yeah. And, and we, we had a close local uh, Muslim who had come to faith, who was a big part of the ministry, worked with closely with us for a while then moved to another country mm. in the Middle East. And he said in that other country, there was I mean, people were responding in a much bigger way. So even in the same sort of region, mm-hmm. depending on where you're at thing in. So one of those theological things you bring before God and <laughs> yeah, one of those conundrums. That's what I yes. love though about being part of frontiers. Cause even if you work yeah. in a tough area like Pakistan, <laughs> where there's not a lot right. of fruit or, you know, your area in the middle East, you can rejoice that, you know, where other parts of the body are seeing great fruit and, and we all, you know, we share in the harvest, we share in the suffering as well as the body yeah. of Christ. So I love that. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not give us a five star rating so that more folks can hear these inspiring stories and join us in praying, sending, giving and going. Or how about inviting me or one of my colleagues to speak at your church? I'd love to hear from you. Email me on matt at frontiers.org.uk. And now back to the podcast. That's what I love though about being part of Frontiers, because even if you work in a tough area like Pakistan, (laughs) where there's not a lot of fruit or, you know, your area in the Middle East, you can rejoice that, you know, other parts of the body are seeing great fruit. And and we all, you know, we share in the harvest, we share in the suffering as well as the body of Christ. So I love that. So interestingly, actually worked a lot more with new believers and new emerging communities of faith, churches in Pakistan than we did in the Middle East where we were mm. and among refugees. So, which is crazy because the amount of sort mm. of 
gospel sowing, sharing, and all that was happening in the Middle East was so much greater than what was happening in very direct, big ways than our time in Pakistan. So it's very strange. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, when you were in Pakistan, those disciples you're talking about, were they perhaps the fruit of others who'd come 10, 20, 30 years before you? Yes, yeah. And a lot through translation work, people Mm -hmm. that were kind of hired and brought on a translation of some of these different minority sort of people group, people languages. And uh, so definitely it was building on kind of inheriting, building on the works of others that have gone before us. Yeah. Well, we'll keep praying for your region in the Middle East too. And, you know, maybe the fruit will be all all coming in another 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. What would be some of the worst things that happened to you guys as a family, um, whether in Pakistan or in the Middle East up to this point, whether it's challenges um, for the kids or for your, your dear wife, who I know well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think definitely a challenge of just, um, you know, when we make going to the frontiers and reaching the frontier pe- frontier people, our aim and goal, which we're very committed to, Romans 15 vision, it, there's a measure of you're, you're never quite comfortable. You always want to keep pushing to new places and new regions. So that's made, you know, we haven't quite settled down in life. And yes. uh and so just all the transitions is, mm. is difficult. And we're now in the Gulf and it's in a, you know, relatively easier place, but yet we're in a, we're here not because of that, but seeing the strategic um, opportunities. So mm. yeah, a lack of stability is difficult to mm-hmm. choose to leave the Middle East where our kids, that was all they really knew and yeah. had good friends, but we felt um, ministry wise before God, it was time to move on. Mm-hmm. And um so those challenges are yeah. probably the biggest. Um, yeah, just that constant uncertainty or slightly feeling unsettled. Starting a new language again, that must have been hard from Urdu first in Pakistan to then Arabic. Now switching back into, well, both, at least you've got both now. Um, Somewhat. Uh, as much as you can have, as much as you can have both, you know. So. Yeah. I know. What about visas and visa uncertainty? Have you had a fairly stable visa platform up until now since being in the Middle East? Yeah. So in the Middle East, yes, uh, we were very stable, which we're thankful for, mm-hmm. I think, which helped to contribute to a longer, a longer run there, uh, mm-hmm. more than we had expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now in the Gulf, uh, some officially with a church and have a priest visa. And it's my wow. first time over, overseas having a two-year visa. Never had a two-year visa in my life. So really, that's, feels, uh, it's yeah. always been year to year, has it? One year at a time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In Pakistan, sometimes, you know, six months, Ugh, to three so months. So frustrating. Yeah. I mean, most of the time I was on year to year, but there was one time I had a three-year visa. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, at least so now you're on this <laughs> priest visa. That slightly makes me laugh. <laughs> yes. Imagining yes. you on a priest visa, but brilliant that you can work with the local church, have that platform, which should be pretty solid. Then, God willing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. We'll we'll see. Um, yeah. Who knows what what uh, challenges might come up? But we're. Yeah. It does seem. You know, we in this season of life, just where our kids are at, we we were. Part of the reason we came to the Gulf was just we we know we can look like there's a more stable option right now, and you know our hearts are very much still in Pakistan, um, but 
we we're hoping I'm hoping this is, you know, we'll, we'll return there in the, in the future. So, yeah, many people won't realize why, what's the connection with where you are right now in Pakistan? Yeah. So where, where I'm at right now, the country is 88% uh, expatriate. So not locals mm. and about 40% of the population are um, Hindi Urdu speaking peoples. Mm. So Hindi and Urdu are, essentially the same language, but uh, the Muslim peoples of South Asia, for the most part, many of them, mm-hmm. they speak Urdu. Um, so that's the connection. So the community we're living in now, um, I think you could say majority are from South Asia, mm-hmm. India, Pakistan, Afghanistan as well, and Bangladesh. And Urdu, with Urdu, you can get around everywhere. And that's awesome. So why, why, why are they there? I suppose what, because when it, when people here think about the Gulf, they just think about wealthy Arabs, you know, tower blocks like Dubai, I suppose. And, you know, just all the riches of the, the oil and so on. So what are all these immigrant workers doing? Yeah. Well, they're doing everything from the highest paid jobs to the lowest, you know? And um, Mm -hmm. so we really have a, a heart desire to work among all groups, but especially among the poor labor types, mm-hmm. which the challenge is it's mostly men. Um, yeah. Then there are some like middle class that are able to bring their families. And mm-hmm. so we live in a community where you do find families as well. Okay. Um, and then there's also right around us in the area where we're living, huge labor camps where men, where hundreds of thousand men will be living. So we're connected to, um, couple of local uh, believers, Urdu speakers that have a ministry in labor camps and do Bible studies and prayer groups have kind of a whole network of, of leaders and evangelistic discipleship groups happening. Um, And uh, so we're kind of connecting in with that and finding our place in that. Mm. Um, Would they be, would they be reaching out? Sorry, would they be Pakistani Christians reaching out to sort of Christian background Pakistanis or are they thinking about Muslims yeah. as well? So they are Christian background and the most of it is among already Christian background, but a lot of sort of the new fruit of new believers, a lot is, uh, is more among Hindu and Sikh mm. uh, peoples, not as much among Muslim, a f- okay. few Muslims here and there, but that's part of our heart desires to wherever we can help encourage shepherd it towards more, hopefully lord willing more fruitfulness among muslims as well Mm, brilliant yeah that's really cool and i imagine most of those pakistani men who are in these labor camps they they probably don't have residency in the country would that be right and would they just occasionally go back to pakistan to their families but work most of the year there yes they'll have residency because they're because they're working with their company okay but you know they definitely don't have a salary that could support a family here so okay in the areas where we're living very much their their whole world is still back in in yes. a, a village in Pakistan or in yeah. Afghanistan even many we met but they're here and and so mm. so it's maybe an interesting I maybe I didn't mean residency but nationality I suppose they wouldn't get nationality no yeah but you where you do have is middle upper class sort of mm. those with higher paid jobs many families that they've been here decades and raising their families and generations even that have been here. So, okay. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. I think actually my old Urdu teacher, he's somewhere in the middle East. 
I remember connecting wow. with him recently and yeah, I think he's moved his whole family there. They've done really well, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So, okay. You've lived in some pretty hot places, haven't you? I mean, Karachi down South, you know, I was nice. I was all right. I was up in the mountains most of the year. It was pretty, pretty okay. Uh, Lahore was pretty, well, was, Lahore was the opposite. Um, very hot. But d- how did you cope with the heat and the pollution of, of Karachi and then the heat in the Middle East and where you are now, I guess, as well? Yeah. Well, so the heat has been my biggest my biggest challenge overseas, you could say, I guess. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't terrorism and those sort of... <laughs> I mean, I was definitely up close to different things that happened and sort of scary, but mm-hmm. it was, it's been heat. Heat's been the biggest uh, challenge. So... Um, I think it's really been a battle of faith and uh, just a reminder that the re I'm from Minnesota and it's nice and cold and I love cold. Just yeah. spent a year there back in the state in, in my home place yeah. and loved it. So I think just seeing it as a part of God's call and bearing it and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Jeremiah blessed are those who do not fear the heat can't get the whole verse right now, but uh, that was a <laughs> I'll have to look that one up. I don't know that one. <laughs> yes. It's something along those lines. And, uh, you know, that trust in God, trust in the Lord and their, their roots go deep. So it's sort of like Psalm one, but what so about it's been a battle. Your, yeah. What about for your wife? What, what's probably, what's been for her the toughest thing? Is it the transition? Is it the raising kids overseas or, or the heat or the food or something else? Yeah. In many ways it's been the transitions has been hard. And then, Kids, uh, definitely just anxieties that have been big and yeah. maybe some of that exacerbated by our lifestyle of living in different places. And mm. we've never known how much even just our son was born in Pakistan. And mm-hmm. whenever you delve into things like anxiety, they go back to like the birth story and the beginnings. Yeah. So there's yeah. mysteries there. We don't really know all, but um, yeah. it's been that's a challenge. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good point, actually, because our eldest was the only one who has well she doesn't have memory of Pakistan but she was there just as a baby for her first year although she was born yeah. in London and yeah you do sometimes wonder what those first eight nine months that she was there did it have an impact on her um and maybe our anxiety at that time as a young family yeah. being there in Pakistan did that impact her and her growth but yeah how do you how do you then how do you view theologically just you know we have so many young people in the church who would just think perhaps um well i i yeah i believe god wants us to take the gospel to all nations but i don't know what about all the dangers is that the right thing to do with a family if you've got young kids and so on how do you wrestle with those challenges yourself yeah yeah so you know i think good question um you know i I would say that i believe as best as i know my heart what's driven me is is not a desire to go and suffer since I don't think that really honors the Lord, but much more a vision of God, his love, his goodness, uh, his glory, and the joy that we have in knowing God and let it in that being the motivating factor to, mm. to drive me overseas. And then combined with that for me is just seeing really taking to heart Paul's missionary vision in Romans 15, and it's to, to lay a foundation of the gospel of Christ where there is no foundation. And so Mm. that text has just been so uh, formative uh, for me personally and for our family. And of course that when you have that as your goal, it pushes you into very 
difficult places, hard places. Mm. But I think don't want to be driven by a desire to suffer. I think that's very mm. focused on us and leads to, I think, can focus of pride. Yeah. Whereas I hope what drives us is, you know, the vision of God and his goodness, his love for all peoples and mm. uh, the gospel going forward. So I hope that's what's driven us. And yeah. then all what about the good... compassion. And I mean, you've obviously got a strong heart for the poor. You've worked in development with refugees and so on, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's your natural, you know, deeply compassionate person. Some people, you know, just, I suppose yeah. would, would work yeah. with the poor because they believe that's the right thing to do and the inequality of resources around the world and so on that drives them. Um, or, you know, yeah. how does it work for you? Are you a deeply, will you sit and kind of weep with people naturally? My wife would absolutely be on the high empathy level. Um, whereas yeah. I would be more driven by stats and just the injustice rationally, you know, where are you at yeah. on that? Yeah, I don't know fully. I mean, definitely seeing intense, suffering and friends and people that we know been in their homes, especially among Syrian refugees and in Pakistan as well, have definitely been moved to tears. And I think that shaped me so that when something like Ukraine is going on, mm-hmm. it, it, it hits me in a deep way. And I think that that's been hopefully God doing that ex- even just experientially from what I've seen and encountered. So mm-hmm. I think moved by that, but then also driven by the scriptures where we just see so often Jesus care and concern and words about the poor and blessed are the poor. So I think that has been, is always there and like, Hmm, what does that mean? And how do we, how are we in step with Jesus and that? So I think that's also been a driving factor for me. And then also I've just found the poor are the ones who often are ready to sit and drink tea and, have a conversation and you can engage with and mm. it's often much harder to build meaningful relationships i have found with the rich yeah interesting that's a good point do you yeah i think sometimes the, the church has the evangelical church particularly of course is known for you know gospel first gospel message front and center everything we do is about the name of jesus and, and the good news how have you managed to get that balance then personally in terms of the gospel and kingdom transformation or working with the poor? Uh, probably the young emerging church is very focused on justice and the poor and maybe are losing yeah. the edge a bit for the importance of evangelism. Yeah. yeah can yeah. you speak into that at all? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, for, for me, it's been gripped by the scriptures of the primacy of the gospel. You know, it's of first and greatest importance in proclaiming it, lifting high the name of Jesus only by a Jesus name will anyone be saved. So driven by that Mm. biblical conviction, that evangelical desire all the way, but then also letting all of scripture speak into, um, you know, the God's care, concern for the poor, seeing Jesus compassion on display as he, Mm. you know, I think Jesus, as we look at, as you read the gospels carefully, he's very driven by his mission to preach in all the villages. And ultimately Mm -hmm. of course, to suffer and die on the cross. But he also, at times you can see the compassion of his heart just moves him to give hours and hours to healing Mm -hmm. and to ministering to the poor. And so I think I see, I encounter in Christ in the, in the gospels as mission focused mm. evangelization and yet 
a heart of great compassion. Of course, he's God that's, that's moves towards people, even mm. as he's being led in mission. So that's powerful. And I like how you, you bring that straight into the life of Jesus, that the, 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 yeah, the model that he shows us, but you're right. All through scripture, we see the same, don't we? The old Testament, you know, huge emphasis on caring for the poor, the refugee, the, the immigrant, um, those who are struggling, all those laws in Leviticus were about justice, you know, weren't they so often? Mm -hmm. And then showing what a just society would look like to the nations around. So there was this combination of God's constant heart for the nations to see what he's like, for them to come into covenantal relationship with God and have that eternal perspective, really, fulfilled ultimately, of course, in Jesus. But yeah, that, that, I like how you say that. I, it's, it's a challenge, isn't it, to be present and be compassionate, but also, yeah. you know, it's okay to be driven towards a cause and and a mission as well. I think also just a growing sense of conviction over time that, you know, we can't do everything. Mm-hmm. God does give us specific gifts, and at mm-hmm. times we do have to make choices to be more focused on compassion, mercy, ministry. And, and those do at times have different goals and at times we need to be disciplined or certain people do to be, you know, more singularly focused on preaching, teaching, Mm. you know, sort of the disciple making task and, and, you know, in the scriptures, et cetera. So, Mm. and then I think having hopefully, you know, hopefully having teams like church planning teams that can embrace people of various gifts and bring that together and, Feeling, giving space for each other to to find our unique callings and giftings um, in mm. being much slower to exalt one thing over the other and mm. make other people feel bad. So, yeah, yeah that, but it's a challenge good. to work it out. Yeah, that's a good word because yeah, my mind goes to wherever it is in Acts where they set aside people to care for the widows and the orphans because there were just so many. Uh, yeah. But also at one point, is it the church in Antioch or wherever they set aside Paul and Barnabas to go and preach the message across Europe, you know, to, to countries where the message of the cross hadn't gone. So there, you're, you're right. We need to sometimes set certain people aside for both, you know, this element of the work or that element of the work. And sometimes yeah. on a, on a single team, you've got some who are great with compassion and compassion ministries, others who are better in evangelism, discipleship. And that's what Frontiers wants to bring it all together. Don't we? Yes. Yeah. Church planting disciple making is our goal. But how can yeah. you make disciples if you don't care for the poor? Ultimately, you know, that's yeah. part of the message. So whether we're doing that through development or that's part of just discipling and running an English center or running a business, it's, yeah. it is all interlinked. You can't run a business and not consider justice issues. And, and kingdom holistic mission is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Great. Any other um anecdotes um particular people you've met along the way who really stand out to you um perhaps muslims you've encountered new believers or seekers any stories you want to share with us um as we wrap up yeah i mean i mean probably the most impactful person in my life in terms of uh local believer that i met was in pakistan and in a refugee um i mean what to share just uh I mean, amazing story of, of fleeing basically alone as a child and, uh, you know, uh, all basically alone was able to find his, his, uh, I think sister and brother along the way 
mm-hmm. somehow in the in the late seventies, early eighties, mm-hmm. um, and really looks back and sees how God was taking care of him and 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 leading him, and then ended up you know joining the Communist Party and seeing the Communist Party as uh, as you know maybe that's where hope is to be found, and was a very committed communist, but. Um, the way that he talks about it came to this point that, um, you know, his deep as a Muslim growing up a Muslim, this deep belief in God, there must be a God. There is a God. Mm-hmm. He, he, he became dissatisfied with that uh, communist aspect of atheism. And so began his search and decided he needed to find a Bible and got connected with uh, a translator who knew his, his uh, mother tongue and was eventually came to faith in Jesus baptized, I think with like 11 others from his wow. ethnic background. And this was, I think in the nineties at some point. Mm. So is this in Karachi, I, I think it was in Karachi where uh, eventually where he was, yeah, mm. where he was baptized and everything, but didn't live there very long. Mm. So, you know, I was a part of his life much further down his journey, but um, to see him, just really with a heart for not just his own people group, but the other peoples around him and just an amazing partner in ministry together as we really tried to get in some very, very difficult, hostile areas. Mm-hmm. And he was in many ways, the key to even be able to, to get in and start building relationships. We didn't see anyone come to faith, but we were building in faith and things were moving in a very positive way. But mm. unfortunately with all that happened, he eventually had to flee the city. We had to leave the country. So where he was in ministry, where we were working. But, yeah. So that's kind of real generals, but. Uh, yeah. I think I know the brother you're talking about. And um, if I'm right, did he get some pretty nasty persecution at some point from the government? Yeah, there was a kid. There was a. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So held and it was bad. He was able to get, get away. So mm-hmm. and doing for the most part. Okay. Now. And um, okay. yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah, these are the kind of guys that teach us so much, aren't they? Um, with what? Because, you know, we we might give up some things and walk into mm-hmm. some dangerous areas and so on. But for the locals who come to Christ, you know, so much more dangerous for them, isn't it? Um, and, you know, let alone just being maybe kicked out from their family or beaten up by their families. But there's the real danger of of jail or martyrdom or various other things and you know your government might be against you your family might be against you you just don't really know so that that kind of insecurity that's a whole nother level isn't it to to what we as foreign workers experience yeah absolutely i mean definitely have seen that and um yeah it's humbling mm, it is yeah. definitely and yet you know we know these are the guys here best place to reach their brothers and families absolutely and, their tribes and so on. So they're, they're gold dust really. And we, yeah, we do need to keep praying, don't we, for some of these young or, or younger yeah. or older, but new, newer believers, I suppose that's the right yeah. word. And really my, my greatest, the greatest joy, sense of satisfaction that's come from me in my ministry overseas and among Muslims has been working with those key locals, local believers, and actually Muslims as well in my humanitarian work. Mm-hmm. I've had staff that, um, you know, and just the deep relationship we're able to have working together and serving, um, you know, even other countries I've worked in uh, while I was living in the Middle East that are very difficult um, and just supporting 
local, even Muslims, and they're trying to help and better their societies. And then opportunities for sharing the gospel and that has been mm-hmm. extremely rewarding. So, yeah, yeah. It, it is a great privilege, isn't it? To be somewhere where you, you, you know, that probably these people you're interacting with, they don't know any other follower of Jesus. They've never met one. Actually, yeah. yesterday, a bit random, but I was at the zoo yesterday and I got chatting yeah. to um, a Muslim guy there who was just playing with his kids. And so we got chatting and, you know, some, somehow we got onto faith and so on. I think he was from Kuwait and uh-huh. his name was Mohammed. And he said, well, I asked him, I said, have you ever met a true follower of Jesus? As far as you know, he said, no, no, I've never met someone who really follows Jesus. He said, and even if I have I don't, my English isn't very good, he said. So I've definitely mm. never met someone who's a follower of Jesus and an Arab speaker. Uh, and I thought, yes. gosh, this is, this is why we do what we do. You know, there are Absolutely. just millions out there who wouldn't know where to go, even if they wanted to meet a true follower of Jesus. So Absolutely. It is a great privilege, isn't it, to, to be in the places, yep. the countries we've lived in and so on. Uh, yes. Well, Joe, what a joy today to get to talk to you thanks for um yeah being up for for this and sharing some of your stories and i'm sure there'll be a lot more to come as you guys settle in there Mm. into the gulf i pray god blesses you and gives you the patience and endurance for all these new transitions and yeah learning again being like a kid again trying to work out where do we go how do we shop here who's who and all those difficulties but yes it's really encouraging that you know you're still persevering after 13, 14 years, is it now? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, I mean, we're excited. Um, mm. You know, it, it's to keep, keep your hand to the plow and keep going. And, uh, and it feels like some of the blessings that we left behind uh, when we left Pakistan are coming back and mm. just, it's exciting to be re-engaging all the more with, with Pakistanis and even, Recently, I've been, uh, all the truck drivers where I'm living are Pashtuns from Afghanistan and Pakistan. So getting to drink tea with them and and, uh, chat back and forth and being able to speak in Urdu. And so, and that, I think that what's what's neat too, with this new opportunity before us in the Gulf is because we've lived in some of, you know, the heartlands, homelands of, Mm. of these people and at least speak Urdu, if not their mother tongue, there's sort of this instantaneous connection that is, yes. uh, is really rich and enables us. It feels like just to go really deep pretty quickly mm-hmm. with people. So yeah, excited about that and, and hoping to be faithful and, you know, the spirit's help pointing to Jesus always and, mm-hmm. and bringing it to him. So, Amen. yeah, definitely. All right. Brilliant. Well, thanks for your time today. Lots of love yeah. to your wife and your kids and uh, yeah. I hope we'll see you at some point. Swing by London when when you're on one of your trips back to the States at some point. Absolutely. We'll do that. All right. God bless, Joe. Thanks so much for listening. I hope today's episode has been inspiring and challenging. For more, check us out on our website, frontiers.org.uk and on all social media platforms at Frontiers UK. Have a great week and make sure you don't miss our next episode.